Welcome to The Truth In This Heart. I am your host, Rob Lee. Today, I have the privilege of being in conversation with an artist, curator, and storyteller whose work explores the complex connections between history and the magical spiritual belief in the African diaspora. Please welcome Keisha Bruce. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Rob. Hello, Baltimore. Howdy. Shout out to DMV. Um, So... Again, you know, thank you for coming on and, and being able to spend a yarn with me, indulging my my questions. And before we get too deep into the weeds, into the woods, you know, of this conversation, I want to ask you to share share your story, share the, the Keisha Bruce story, and um, really, what was your first experience with art? Like, whether it is doing art, making art, appreciating art, tell me about that. That's so funny. I haven't thought about this in ages, um, but as soon as you asked immediately popped into my, my head. Um, when I was maybe four or five years old, I um, was in my room drawing. Or I'm, this is how my mother tells the story. That it was real quiet in my room. So of course she got suspicious. She didn't see me for a few minutes. So she came comes back down the hall into my bedroom and she sees me sitting on the floor drawing. And I was drawing this clown or something of, of a, it was a picture that was on the wall in my bedroom as, as a decor in our bedroom. And she said it was, she would never see me so focused and so just like content. And um, she took that after I was done, she took it and she framed it. I don't know what happened to it, but I just remembered that moment. And, um, and her saying, yeah, she was just, she's always been creative. <laughs> and so, I don't know, I'm sure everybody has a story like that, but yeah. I drew a little clown with a pencil and uh, the rest is art history. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure that there is a proto version of my parents having Rob Lee's first microphone or something goofy. Some <laughs> really weird tape of me trying to rap. There is several tapes of me rapping. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> None of them are good. They're all bad. Oh, they're keeping those. They're keeping those. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just burn them. Let's just say, look, they didn't. That didn't happen. You know, can we press rewind? Literally on my experience with recording. Um, <laughs> so, talk talk about a little bit about like like growing up. Where'd you grow up? What was some of uh, sure. your 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 education and some of those like integral moments of your your career as an artist? Yeah, this is. Um, I always like to tell people this because they never believe me. I'm from Iowa. I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. I was actually born in Pella, which is a tiny tiny Dutch colony, like proper Dutch, like the entire phone book starts with, you know, Vander or something. Um, but my mom was going to college at Central College there. And so I grew up in Des Moines. That's where my parents were both from. Um, and I'm, I'm a really, I was a late bloomer to art. I didn't, you know, besides that, you know, all kids draw, all kids love art because it just comes natural to children um, before they're told to stop and not do that. This is true. But But I never took art classes. I never did like I was never one of those talented, gifted kids that took art classes at the Des Moines Art Center or anything like that. I just, that wasn't my thing, right? Um, and I don't think I took a serious art class until I was in high school. And I just really dug it because I got to do that instead of being like the study hall in the lunchroom. And so I just, you know, I did that instead on my for my study hall. I went to the art, the art room to work on. I actually I took a jewelry class first. I think jewelry, sculpture, and just like basic, like required classes. And I wasn't good. I wasn't especially good. That's like, it's not like I had some, you know, you have those people that are like prodigies. They're like, oh, 
they get all the attention and accolades. You know, I was, I was not that kid that won the state, you know, competition and got the blue ribbon. I didn't do any of that. I did not. Um, I learned, I really came into my creativity, um, much later, well, my own process. Um, and I'm cool with that. I mean, it worked out all right. <laughs> I mean, I, I like that you're saying that. I mean, that's, that's the kind of the thing, like, uh, with, with this and being like, be, doing it for doing like podcasting, this is my craft for, uh, almost 14 years and not sure like if I've gotten good at it because I haven't scaled, I haven't reached these, uh, different validation markers that people put in front of you. Totally. But, um, <laughs> but I ended up going back to, a, 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 an artist, a, a sort of art that I did when I was younger, I was into comics. I wanted to be a comic book um, writer and a comic book, like I want to be an illustrator. And I was able to, I guess, in doing podcasts that opened me up to trying to do other things and kind of revisiting yeah. stuff that I was doing. So yeah, I definitely kind of connect to that. Yeah. And, and also I just, I think it just really, I love to tell folks that I was a, a late bloomer because I think there is this misconception that if you're an artist, you're just naturally gifted and that's how you ended up being that way. I wasn't like, I'm legit not gifted at drawing. And I will tell you that anytime you ask me, I suck at drawing. Um, I'm a painter. (laughs) It's a running joke, right? Yeah. Like I don't want to draw. What are you talking about? Um, And it, it took me a long time to find my way. And, but that's it. That's, that was my path. Other people have a different path, but whatever your path to your um, creativity, to your practice is completely valid. 100%. Could you share from, from, from your vantage point, obviously, the differences between imagination and creativity? I love this question because <laughs> they're so close, right? They're, for yeah. me, when I think of imagination, I think of like daydreaming and like wishes and something magical. And when I think of creativity, I think of something that I um, feel like I, I could do. Like I could imagine flying, but I, that's not something I could make. <laughs> Does that make any sense? So um, I do think that imagination um, feeds into creativity, right? I think that's, I think it's a necessary part, but I also think that um, one of the biggest elements of creativity is curiosity. Mm. Um, what my, my approach to so many things in the studio is what would happen if, like, what if I tried this? What if I, what, what if would this look like? Yeah. That's how I get to any end result is just experimenting and being, being like genuinely curious about, I've never done it this way before. What would, I, what would happen if that? And it's like a weird, tingly, exciting feeling of like, Ooh, let me try, you know, a creative spider sense. Yeah. ID sense rather. <laughs> yeah. It really does feel like that. It does feel like this. It's very, it's a visceral thing. Like you're like, Oh, ooh, let me try this. And that is always like, that's the thing that gets you going. And then you have the momentum and then you find your way. I, I like to try to incorporate, and, and maybe this is, is the same for you possibly where I like to incorporate certain challenges in there for just for the sake of trying something in a different way. For instance, I came out of my normal studio. I'm in, I'm in a remote studio today and I find a way to always forget something. 
<laughs> just to see if I can MacGyver that situation. It's like, okay, I'm gonna make this happen. Let me get a toothpick, um, <laughs> some, some some aluminum foil, and a seashell. That's a microphone. Uh, Got it. Sometimes you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> so I, I would be remiss if I didn't tap into this one. I want to learn a little bit about your process. So could you walk us through your, your process? And there's a there's a second bullet point, but I'm gonna at least let you start off there. The second bullet point gotcha. ties it to something. But yeah. Please. My process is, I like to say, I have a very, very, very long creative on-ramp. I can't, unfortunately, I can't just be like, let me go to my studio and make a painting today. Yeah. Uh, that's not how it works for me. Usually it starts with, one, I have to rest and be refilled enough and that I even have something to say that I even get the urge to even go to the studio. Um and not saying that I go when I'm only inspired, but I do not go when I'm exhausted. Uh-huh. And so part of my process is getting in the right headspace. Like that's so much of it. And so that starts with, you know, taking care of myself. I clean my house. I do my laundry. I do yard work. I walk my dog, give my dog about like, I have to do all these things before the, the fancy art creative part even starts. And then when I'm in the studio, I'm really just messing around. I'm just warming up. And um, so much of my process is, again, trying to get in that flow state, the state where you are open to, to, try, new, to try new paths to an idea. Yeah. All of that takes momentum. And for me, it takes a long time. And I just built that into my, my working process. Yeah, and I think knowing that is important. Uh, You know how people talk about scales and when it comes to musicians and things of that nature. I... I have to. I've, I tried to get better recently because I know that something wasn't working. It wasn't mm. fitting because I could go back to back to back, and I was like, nah, "I'm 37 now. I gotta like slow that down. I gotta rest oh. the old, gotta rest the old throat. Gotta rest the old mouth or whatever." That sounds weird, yeah. but, um, <laughs> but but really, kind of reset because you're you're having these conversations, and there is a lot to process out of them. Like people are sharing oh. that are intimate, you know, that are baked into their work and. You're, you're understanding a lot of different things. And I think it's interesting to use use the term flow state because it se- sends me to my next question. Did you <laughs> compare your process in any way to water? I forgot. Yeah, that's true. That's such a good question. And, and I think it is, um, I mean, the metaphor is abound, right? Like the way I work is so intuitive and it is completely controlled by my energy levels, which ebb and flow. Some days I got it. Some days I don't. Some days I, the waves are more of, of, you know, ideas are more powerful. Sometimes they're more subtle. Um, and the thing that I really, I mean, the thing that I love to try to give myself is the ability to just be like, not try to control. Have you, you can't control the ocean, right? Like you like how, like, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and so some days I'll go into the studio and I'll be like, you know, I like, I like to set up projects for myself. I love a good deadline. Mm-hmm. You can ask my art dealers, give me a date and I'm going to deliver for you. Yeah. Right. I love a good deadline, but you also got to give the work the time that it needs. Yeah. You can't rush it. There is a divine timing in built into the work because when I'm making the work, I'm a person, like you were saying, you can't do these episodes back to back to back to back. I'm not 25 anymore either, right? Um, I'm running up on 50 years old. <laughs> I've developed my process 
yeah. over, you know, the last 20 years. And I, and I've noticed there's a slowdown, but intentionally so. And I think, um, you know, you just have to flow with the energy you have where you are at this point in your life, wherever you are in your, your career and your creative process will ebb and flow and it will change the way you did something 10 years ago may not work anymore. And I try to give myself a lot of grace. Yeah. That's be like, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. Why would my process be identical? Absolutely. Right. And and I hear the whole thing about painters. They're, they're never really done. They never finish a painting. They're kind never. of, you know, just, ah, just stop painting. And I have to, I have to, because they, the, the, the truck is coming to pick up the paintings to take them to the gallery. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's one of the things too, like, I, I think as I, as I hear this other piece of uh, uh, the other, other statement around like artists, they, and creatives, they work within the time that's permitted. So you have some people who are procrastinators and some people are like, I'm going to need this deadline, but I'm going to wait until I got like four hours left because I work better. Uh, I just talked about this on someone's Instagram today. They're like, why do we do this to ourselves? My blood pressure can't handle it. My nervous system, like why? You know the deadline is coming. You, you have a calendar. Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And and I am I'm really digging into that because I also think there's something there. It's not just procrastination is not, there's always a reason behind the procrastination, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're procrastinating because you're afraid you you don't, you're not gonna get it right. Some of that's perfectionism. And some of it is you just need more time to think. Yeah. Because the making of the work is not always the actual making of the work. It's the thinking about the work. It's laying in bed, making uh, my best friend and I, we were, I I told her, we've known each other for, I don't know, going on 10, 15 years. So more than that. And I was like, do you lay in bed? Do you make paintings in your head? Or is that just me? And she was like, I thought I was the only one. And we talked about everything, but we never talked. We both make paintings in our heads. And, um, so like, doesn't that count? Can you clock in for that time? I made those paintings in my head. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, it's complicated. You know, I don't turn on my artist and I don't turn my, my artist brain on and off. It's always happening. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, um, I, I find that if I'm, cause part of the process I've put into it for my thing, the, the hardest thing for me, like doing this, just having a conversation, that's just me just, you know, in the pocket as it were, mm-hmm. um, which sounded very DC, Ugh. but uh, <laughs> no shade, no shade, no shade. Um, but that's, you know, really me being in a pocket. Whereas when I'm getting to that point and I've tra- changed it up a little bit, coming up with questions and trying to keep the questions unique and interesting and doing the research that makes the guests say, damn, when, how'd you find that out? That's, yeah. that's the thing that, that interests me because I want to be curious. I want to have, I want to have somebody think of something maybe in a different way than they've done before. So Coming up with those questions, and if you have a schedule like I do, of I might do fifteen interviews in a week. It's like you don't want to ask the same person the same question and all of that different stuff because you you want a certain answer. You want to for me, I want to impress myself. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't it part of it again? This curiosity, right? Like you don't want to ask the same questions over and over, right? Because yeah. uh, I don't think they would really. Because I think the whole point of a good question is to prompt some storytelling or some um, some re- revelation about the work or the person that will give you that's interesting for a listener, right? And I think that you know, I'm always thinking about storytelling and um, in in my work, and um, 
it comes natural to some folks. I love telling stories because I think story is how we how we know each other. It's how we know each other. I like to fashion what I do, and I've described it this way because people say, "Oh, you're a storyteller." I was like, "No, I facilitate people telling their stories." Mm-hmm. I Absolutely. Help provide that direction of, "Hey, what about this?" Yeah. And, and, you know, know what to add, know what to remove, and with that. I, I, I want to go into this this next question because, you know, big things are popping. Big things are happening. Tell us about your eighth, I believe this is the eighth I'm reading, uh, exhibition with, with more <laughs> fine art, uh, Take Me <laughs> to the Water. Tell me about that. Tell us about that. And um, I got a part B to that, but I at least want to start off there. So Amy Morton is just a gem of a human being. I adore her. Um I, we, the way we met, I have to tell a story about the way we, we met just because I think it's really special and it speaks to the type of person, type of people that we both are. I actually emailed her because I wanted to interview her about her experience in the art world for an ebook that I was writing it's just a, a, more than a decade ago now when, you know, when people were still hot and heavy with the ebooks. <laughs> um, right. So I interviewed her and we just started talking. And again, because of the questions I asked her, we got into this conversation and then something, it was just magic. It was just that perfect magic thing. It's, you know, when you ask the right questions and you get into the, again, get into the flow. And then I was like, what a nice lady. Didn't think anything of it. And then she was like, I looked at your work. Um, do you, what about these pieces? And I was like, oh yeah. She was like, would you be interested in showing? And I was like, yeah, sure. And the rest again, and the rest is history. Um, Art history, specifically. Yeah, she really, we, you know, she really allowed me to um, show a lot of work that I, did, I, ne- I didn't really think I would um, uh, really have a place for. At that time, I had I'd not been like officially on the roster of a gallery before, and um, I had a lot of I worked with a lot of galleries, but never found one that was a good fit. And so finding her was pretty magical. And I always joke that if I had like six more per, I could just like, you know, I would just be like, boom, that's it. Just cranking out the paintings. Just kidding. I don't paint that fast. <laughs> so you, cause your, your, your process is one that's uh, it, it, you're putting in some intention. You're putting in that, that time with it. Yeah. It's, my process is so ridiculous. Like when, <laughs> when I go into my studio and I look at all these people, like there are thousands of tiny squares of fabric in my studio going and there, and I've been making these and adding to the collection. It's not like I use them all and make some more. I'm always making these things. I cannot stop making these patches. I've been doing this in that studio space, my, in the studio space in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, I've been doing that five years worth of patches. I have whole shell. It's like, it looks like a catalog. It's just baskets upon wow. baskets of these, you know, different. And I rip. So my process is um, I get fabric, can be clothing. I usually don't buy it. Fabric finds its way to me. I'm like the fabric genie. I, I, I don't know. Magnet. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just, I honestly, I had a friend of a friend of a friend knew a guy who bought a building that um, the bottom of the, the it was a, a fabric warehouse. And he was like, I got to empty out this building. You guys want it? Like, I'm serious. Like wow. fabric finds its way to me. And so I, I start by ripping the fabric. Well, sometimes I paint on it. Sometimes I write like little sentences, affirmations, prayers, sigils, symbols on them. But mostly the, I do a lot of ripping them into squares and that takes forever. Sometimes I do it until my fingers are sore because it's very meditative. And I also think that somehow that when I'm doing that, the way that I focus my energy 
like somehow energizes the fabric, like the fibers of the, I swear the fibers of the fabric are different. Yeah. So then I end up with a thousand pieces of fabric that I have to paint. Now you would think I would do it the other way around, paint the one big piece of fabric and rip it. No, it doesn't work that way. I don't make the rules. Okay. So <laughs> that's not the order of the spell, right? Like it's just, I have these rituals and they are rituals, right? Um, not a very disciplined person, but I love a good ritual. And that's what has really helped me get my work done is to find these rituals that work for me. And for me, that, that, that process of ripping those pieces is so meditative in such a loving state. Again, that flow state where it's just me ripping and ripping, ripping and stacking and reorganizing, ripping, stacking and reorganizing is like my favorite thing to do. And then eventually <laughs> I make some paintings of the pieces, but that's really the very, very, very last step, right? Like it's really the culmination of months and hundreds of hours of making these very tiny pieces, which some of them are so beautiful. I believe they could stand on their own as pieces in their own right. Um, but yeah, my process is, that's been my process, probably the ripping, the patches, making the pieces, the patches for the last five years. Of course I do works on paper. I do, I do a lot of collage. But the, the work that I do now is also collage in a lot of ways. I'm piecing right. these fabric pieces together. So it's all the it's all the work. It's all the work. So with the the upcoming exhibition, take me to the water. What, mm-hmm. How how where we where are you at and within having that is the process and like where are you at at this stage within the process? What is this current like status like? What are the themes that are associated with this exhibition? What are some of the words that come in the mind when you think about the work that went into this exhibition? There, okay, so take me to the water. There are so many entry points that, of course, this had to be the title of the show. One, the most obvious is um, there's a performance of Nina Simone doing um, singing "Take Me to the Water," and I forget what it's a college performance, and she's it's a live performance, and she's on stage. And if you look at the extended video on YouTube, it is at the end when she gets up and starts dancing and the rest of the band is playing, it's just magic. And you're gonna hear me use that word like 10 times, but that moment when she's just like, her, the way she's completely in her body and on, like, it's just, it was just such a joy to watch. Um, so there was that. But the idea of, I mean, there's so much around water as I've always, you know, coming from the Midwest, we don't, we just, you're lucky if you're near a lake, right? The ocean seems like magic to me. And it's such a rare, it's such a, just, it's such a treat to even just lay eyes on in the sound and all of that. So um, in last year, I took a road trip up the, by myself with, well, with my dog, I would say we, uh, with my dog Pearl up the Pacific, um, uh, you know, highway one up the Pacific, you know, coast. Yeah. All the way from, I drove from um, Arizona to California and then drove all the way up the coast to Seattle. Oh, wow. And I just, over the course of, I don't know, like a week, four or five, five days maybe. Um, and and part of the reason I did that was because I was in deep, deep, deep grief over the death of my mother. That last year was the one year anniversary of her death and her birthday. She died three days after her birthday. And so in a lot of ways, I was trying to, run from my grief, but I ran to the water because I just had this notion that being at the beach, I just knew intrinsically that being near the water 
was the thing that was going to fix me. That was going to make this, this horrible anniversary bearable. And I was right. It exceeded all of my expectations. I got everything and more. I didn't, I actually had never, um, really been up the West Coast. I'm an East Coast girl. You know, after I moved from Iowa, I moved straight to Brooklyn. So like, right? Like Crown Heights in the house. So like, I didn't like, I don't know nothing about no West Coast. Pacific Ocean is not really my jam, right? Right. Um, But I got up all the way up to Northern California. And then I got up to like Big Sur. And it was, I never seen, I've never seen the ocean in that way. And it was truly magical to me. I had so many wonderful moments of like almost euphoria um, just on the beach, just being near the water and just being like, I can't even believe this exists. Um, And I don't know if folks know, but Big Sur actually is the um, ancestral and sacred land of the Esalen people. And it was recently returned to that tribe. Um, And um, yeah, it's sacred. There's something special on that, that land and that coast, and it's just fantastic. So, um, and then also there's another element is that, you know, we're in the middle of a global water crisis. Yes. And being on those beaches last summer and then no, and then also driving up to the coast of Oregon where things are on fire you know, it just really made me, I think I connected to, to the land and the earth in a different way that I hadn't done it in a long time. And so water has been since last year, I've been so, so deeply, deeply focused on what the possible, what, what the gifts that water gives you besides the fact that the earth is mostly water, our bodies are made from water that we need it to survive every single day. That. Also, it's such a, I mean, you think of baptism, it's a place where you go to, to be reborn and transformed into something new. Yeah. Um, my favorite form of cardio is swimming. I'm a swimmer. I took swim lessons so I could swim because when I float, I feel something that is transcendent and kind of otherworldly. And there's, there's no other way to get that feeling except to immerse the body in water. Right. And so, um, yeah, take me to the water. Water is life. Yeah, absolutely that. So I got one more real question before I get to those rapid fire questions for you. And, and thank you. I feel like I might have to find a way to work in uh, <laughs> into the water in, to, in the background for, for most of this podcast. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how we do that. Uh, how do you develop, maintain and, and, and cultivate that creative mindset. Um, do you have trouble with it? Do, and I think, you know, you kind of touched on a little bit mm-hmm. earlier in the conversation, but, you know, what are some of those, it's not necessarily hacks, but some of those skills that you maybe like picked up during the you know last 10, 15 years or what have you that you're like, I know that I need to do this because it's going to help me with my yep. creativity. Tell, tell me about that. Absolutely. Um, so I think it, when I'm talking to, you know, emerging artists, younger artists, or people who are just early in their creative process, the, all, the thing I tell them is you don't have to worry about discipline, but what you need to figure out is your path. You need to find the rituals that you can plug together one by one that make it possible for you to get from A to B, because B is where your work gets done. And that will look different for everyone, right? Um 
And I've picked up things along the way. I've been really, really lucky um, to work with and be taught by other, you know, I went to the formal route. I went through academia. I have an undergrad. I have a BFA and MFA, but I had some, most of my teachers were working artists and they made us do all these assignments and they made us do all of these experiments. And I still go back to those assignments when I'm stuck or when I'm like, I don't know how to start. Those become my warmups and they lead me in. Hmm. Um, And I I do believe that there is momentum is a really important part, but I also believe in rest. Give yourself time to, you need the critical distance. You need to do the work and then stand back and see what you did. Right. And see like, and is this good? (laughs) Yeah. You're like, or it's like, does that make sense? Or like, is that, or sometimes it's not at all what you intended. And, and that becomes like, Oh, I didn't see that coming. Now I'm curious about what could happen next. right? Right. Curiosity. I think if you stop putting pressure on yourself to produce, which is one of the biggest problems that I see young artists with is that they're always like, I got to make art. I got to make art. I'm like, you don't have to do nothing. You don't have to do that. What you need to do is focus on your practice because that's, what's going to get the art done. If you just focus on how, like, I'm just, I need to make a whole bunch. Give yourself and make it playful. Like, Make it, make, give yourself some fun parameters, make it fun for yourself. Like, okay, I'm going to get 12, 12 inch, 12 by 12 inch canvases. And I'm only going to use these five colors. See if you can use that as a tool to get you to where you ultimately want to be. But I mean, my other thing is like, just start, just start. There's never going to be, you're never going to be like, oh, the perfect idea. Let me just go execute. It doesn't really work like that. Not for me. I, I, I see that in even in doing this where because I had this this belief when you, you you don't take breaks, you know, like you, you have to I think when you take breaks, just know that and it's this is paraphrasing, but just know that the work's gonna suck for a little bit until yeah. you get back into that that state, yeah. that state or what have you and, and back into the pocket. And you know, <laughs> I, I know when I haven't recorded or touched a mic or even thought about questions or even like chatted with other creatives, mm-hmm. that is even a part of it. Cause I find yeah. some creatives are really fun, some are just really hyper focused on their thing. And, you know, you just kind of see where that works. But if I haven't, if I've made myself devoid of anything creative and then I go back into it and I haven't touched a microphone or even talked to people for the day. It's going to be wonky and weird. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. And I mean, that's the other thing is like, I make bad paintings all the time. Do you think the paintings that are in Take Me to the Water are the only paintings I was working on? No, (laughs) those are, those are just the ones that made the cut. Okay. There's five more that I was like, nah, you're not going. <laughs> you're not take, going take, to the big dance. <laughs> take me to the wall. Uh, that I'm not- uh, literally <laughs> facing their, against the wall in my studio. And that's fine. Yeah. Not every single thing you do has to be a masterpiece, right? Like you can curate which ones. And some just didn't make sense. Some are going in a different direction or some just have a different feel and didn't make, they didn't, they didn't end up in that grouping, but. Ultimately, I think artists are way too hard on themselves. You're just a person. You're just trying to express yourself. Stop judging your, Stop judging the way you express yourself. Just take your time and do the work. You got and you got to find your own way. There are two two comparisons that come to mind, and and, and we'll and we'll leave on that before we get to these rapid fire ones. Uh, there are director's cuts. There oh, are hell tracks yeah. that don't make the album. <laughs> you know, there are tracks yep. that are like, yeah, we we recorded like forty. I only got yep. 15, you know, yep. like, so it's Absolutely. a large number. 
I have whole bodies of work that no one's that has never been in a show and have never left the like a portfolio in my studio. There you go. There are a few podcasts that I'm like, no, nah, I'm not gonna put these out. Exactly. I, I did the work. I learned from them. I even like some of them. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll give them away. I'll give them to family members, stuff like that. But they're never going to end up in a show in a gallery. They're never going to be on my website. It is what it is. Yeah. So with that, um, I think that's a good spot for us to stop. And then we'll go into some rapid fire questions. Uh, these are fun. Ready. They're, they're ridiculous. Uh, so these are all over the place. Don't I feel fear. Don't okay. overthink them. Uh, so I'm going to hit you with this one. Uh, chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Sorry. I like vanilla as well. Give me vanilla ice cream all the day. People could call me plain. I, I don't care. My mom didn't give us a lot of candy when we were kids. Like chocolate is a, a an acquired taste and American chocolate is trash. I didn't like chocolate until I moved to France and got Belgian chocolate. Boom. So... You say what you want, vanilla forever. <laughs> when, when someone when someone's like, "Yo, why don't you like chocolate?" I was like, "Look, I'm chocolatey enough. We're good. I'm like, I think we got it all set." And there's enough people who love chocolate. Chocolate's fine. Okay. Yeah, it's all it's all good. Chocolate's PR team. They they don't they're not putting out any fires. No. Uh, sunrise or sunset? Mm, sunrise. I'm solar powered. Yeah, I dig a sunrise. What's your favorite drink? My favorite drink, my like what a cocktail. Oh, however like, you want to take it. Just whatever. Okay. Oh, so hard. Right now, I am addicted to don't don't judge. I'm addicted to those stupid Starbucks pumpkin spice lattes iced with oat milk. Thank you very much. Venti. Venti with the chocolate cake pop, though. Okay, so there you go. I I, I, I am in solidarity with the workers of Starbucks, <laughs> but those lattes just hit. Like, I don't want to tell you. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I will say, uh, literally, if I go there to the Starbucks, um, I'm just like, yo, can you just get me like a cold brew? That's, that's all I want. I don't the cold brews are good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of what it is. And I feel like, you know, some people would, I'm, some people won't give me the credit, but I know that I need it. I, I'm the person that got people on the way for cold brew in Baltimore. I'm owning that. Cold brew is that I'm making cold brew right now in my kitchen. That's the last thing I did before I got on this call. Oh, yeah. Do you, use, do, you do the Japanese style of like the ice cubes and all of that and let it melt? Oh, okay. I gotta, I gotta learn this. I'm just throwing it in there in a picture and being like, "Good luck." Boom. <laughs> it's still delicious. <laughs> yeah, that's all over the map. So here, here's the last two for you. Um, so you, you talked about it a little bit earlier, and I, I'm a little curious. What are two things that are regenerative for you? Mm-hmm. Swimming. I love swimming. I love being in the water. I love being in the beach. It doesn't have to be the beach. It could just be anywhere water. And um, sleep. I'm a big believer that sleep is when your your whole being resets itself, and when you're in dream, the, the dreamland is like the spirit plane. Yeah, and it's so important. And I'm a big like I get like nine hours of sleep every night. I'm, I'm just don't call me after eight thirty p.m. Don't you dare. I'm just getting back to that. I was one of those guys. I needed to take off my my Apple Watch because it's it's got this like uh, alert on there and just buzzes. I'm like, stop texting me. No, absolutely not. I actually for a while just because I was, I'm finding I'm really addicted to my phone. So now I'm doing this thing where I pl- I charge my phone outside in the hallway. It's not even on my nightstand. So. Because sleep point. is everything, and I don't want to interrupt it. I already sleep with an eighty-pound um, black lab. That's already enough nonsense. So, yeah. 
I give me my point, sleep. I'll, I'll say <laughs> at a point, we, we had this thing um, a couple years back during the summer, and it was like about a month before. So it was like let's say let's say June. So a month before, like Fourth of July, and it was just fireworks just going off all the time. Oh. And, that was the lowest amount on average because I, I keep my watch on the track the hour to sleep I'm getting because I get insomnia. And I, it was just like, you've <sighs> got less than six hours to sleep. I was like, that's why I've been so irritable. Yeah, no, I can't. I can barely function on. I can, I can do it for one night on five or six hours, but not several in a row. I start going a little mm-hmm. off. Yeah, I need sleep to be creative too. Like I, my the other thing is, I think uh, folks don't realize how important it is to your whole being. Um, if you have chronic pain, if you have any other health issues, all that really affects your entire process because it also affects the way your brain works, and you know it's all tied together. So, yeah, I gotta take a nap. I sleep a lot. I sleep a lot. So this 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 question is the last one, and it's more of a softball, but uh, you know I think it ties everything together in a nice in a nice neat little bow. What's something new happening in your life or career right now? What is going on? Well, I have this show opening up, which is I mean that's a no brainer, but um, that was a softball. <laughs> this is literally a softball. Yeah, I'm like well. This is like the center of my universe right now. It opens on Saturday. So I hope people, um, and I'm really excited to, this is my first in-person thing since COVID. So it means a lot. And you know what? The DC has, has been good to me over the years, really good to me over the years. And so I've really missed connecting with people over the last two years. So I'm just, right now I'm just focused on the show, making sure people have access to the work. And then I don't know. We'll see what happens for the rest of the year. But um, one thing, one baby step at a time. That's enough. That's enough. I love it. And thank you. Uh, So with that, I want to thank you again for coming on to the podcast. And I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to check you out, your work, social media, all of that good stuff. And last second plug for Take Me to the Water. There you go. So please, uh, the floor is yours. All right. So I have a couple of websites. The most obvious would be KeishaBruce.com. That's where you're going to find all of the works and the press release from the Take Me to the Water exhibition, which opens Saturday, uh, September 17th and and runs until October 11th. And then I also have a a project website called um, SpiritHouseArt.com. Um, if you follow me on my Instagram, which is at KeishaBruce.com, you will find a link to that and some other good things. But yeah, come over to Instagram and say hi. That's where I'm chilling out at the social needs these days. So don't be shy. Well, there you have it, folks. For Keisha Bruce, artist, curator, storyteller, I'm Rob Lee saying that there is art in and around your neck of the woods. You just got to look for it.